0: Hey everyone, so uh, I'm not dead, (laughs) Uh, contrary to probably some of my listeners beliefs, um, I'm still here. Uh, I just had to step away for a while to take care of some college stuff, but uh, well, your boy is now a college graduate from the University of North Texas, so um, hooray for that. Um, And now that that's over with, I now have a little bit more free time on my hands, Um, So I figured this would be a great opportunity for me to try and jumpstart the podcast and get it back up and running. Um, And so that is hopefully going to be the plan from here on out. I'm going to be trying to do uh, weekly releases. Uh, The goal is to aim for a Monday release so that there's ample time every week to gather sports news and um, maybe even cover the, the Sunday night football game prior to that. Um Monday just seems like a really good day to do that. So that's going to be the goal. It might change. Um but yeah, so for this episode in particular, there actually is a lot of good stuff to talk about in all four sports that I like to cover on this podcast. Surprisingly at this time of year. Um so we're going to talk about all of that good stuff and more here on the 214. Let's do this. <laughs> So, uh, first and foremost, I was going to cover the Dallas stars, uh, later in today's episode, but, uh, some breaking news this morning, basically changed the entire structure of my podcast. And now we got to talk about probably the most important story of the day for DFW sports. And that's that the head coach of the stars, Jim Montgomery has been let go by the organization. And it's kind of strange because it kind of came out of nowhere. And the official reasoning that's been put out in public by the organization for his firing is quote-unquote unprofessional conduct. Now, unfortunately, all this information came out this morning, um, so we don't have a whole lot of t- to go off of. You know, it's still a complete mystery as to why this happened. We don't have any, like, tension-building-up stories or any, like, Articles from any sort of news sources talking about uh, any sort of problems within the organization, any tension or turmoil. This kind of came as a shocker to everyone this morning. So the rest of us are now kind of scrambling to figure out what the hell this all means and and what even started all of this in the first place. Um, but here's what I think is really interesting. So earlier today, uh, Jim Nell, the general manager of the Dallas Stars, actually had a press conference discussing all of this and also announcing who the next coach is going to be uh, for the Stars this season, which is uh, Rick Bowness, who we'll talk to here in a little bit. But um, I just want to read off a quote from Jim Neal at the press conference um, discussing the situation unfolding with Montgomery. Um, Quote, I was made aware of a situation over the weekend involving a ploy of the Dallas Stars organization. Upon collecting all the information and executing an internal investigation and speaking with ownership, management, and general counsel, it was determined there was an act of unprofessionalism contrary to the values and standards held by the Dallas Stars organization. Now, the word in particular there that I'm really interested in is ploy. Because press conferences like these following a firing, usually the whole point is to try and calm people down, right? You're not trying to spread information. You're not trying to, you know, create any sort of rumors. You're just trying to make sure that everyone's on the same page and basically downplay the whole thing. And so for me, it's a little strange that... Jim Nill used the word ploy in this particular uh, description of the events unless he really firmly, objectively has discovered that there was something that could be described or defined as a ploy uh, in the organization, which is very, very fascinating. And I think there's going to be a lot more information that's going to come out about whatever went on and whatever it is. I'm convinced it must have been something pretty serious because this is the same head coach that got us into the second round last year and has gotten us off to a pretty decent start this year. And so to just have this come down out of nowhere is a big shocker to everybody across uh, the Stars fan base. Um, but like I said, we don't have a whole lot of information to go off of aside from that. So we're just going to have to wait out this next week and... I suggest to all my listeners to just keep an eye out for any sort of news um, that might discuss what exactly went down, um, and maybe if it comes out uh, at a right amount of time within a good time period, uh, I'll be able to cover it on next week's episode. Um, but with that being said, let's talk about this new interim coach that's going to be filling in for what I'm assuming to be the rest of the season, and that's uh, Rick Bowness. Um, Who is this guy, right? Where did he come from? Why should we feel confident in him being our head coach for the rest of the season? Um, Well, so one of the things that the Stars tweeted uh, earlier today was that Rick Bowness is actually... um, Let's see, what do they say here? He's been behind the bench for more games than any coach in NHL history. Um, And what they mean by that is that Rick Bowness has actually been... Uh, part of coaching staffs for NHL teams since the 80s. The guy has been kind of filtering in between assistant coaching and head coaching positions. He's also done head coaching for like affiliate uh, hockey teams for the for the main uh, league, whatever it was called back then, and, and you know, then NHL now. Um, and so he has actually had uh, five different stints as a head coach. And uh, the thing is, is that his record is actually not that good. Um, 39, 178, and 18. I mean, that's, that's not just bad. That's atrocious. Um, and so the question then is, well, then how the heck did this guy end up becoming the person to fill in for head coach? Could there have been better options available? Well, I implore everybody to hold up real quick and and think for a second because Rick Bonus, who, by the way, I just now realized I've been pronouncing his name wrong this whole time, um, has been an assistant or associate coach now in the NHL for 24 seasons straight. Because the last time he was actually a head coach was back in 97, 98 with the New York Islanders. And so while his head coaching record may look porous, I mean, absolutely terrible um 24 seasons y'all is a really really long time that's a long time spent uh watching other guys do the head coaching gig seeing what they did right what they did wrong being a part of all these different nhl teams and i think that kind of experience does come with a form of skill and uh sports iq in particular and in this case hockey iq um and so while in, historically, you know, Rick Bonus hasn't been one of the better head coaches in the league. I think that there is still place for hope and positivity uh, and, and comfort in the fact that he is the new Stars head coach. Now, I can say all of this and none of it could really matter. Uh, they could end up going terrible this season or they could end up doing fantastic with him as head coach. So, um aside from that there's not really a whole lot to discuss other than that we just now need to sit and wait in terms of finding out more about the release of montgomery and uh what uh rick bonus can actually bring to this team as a head coach so um i guess we'll just wait and see okay so uh we're gonna move on to another sport now and you guys knew this was coming and we have to talk about it so let's talk about the most Disappointing team in the Metroplex right now, uh, and that is the Dallas Cowboys. Um, So, as I'm sure everyone is aware, the Cowboys lost to the Bears this last Thursday. Uh, That makes it three losses straight uh, and four losses out of their last five with the only win coming against the Detroit Lions. Um, I really don't know what to say about this team other than that I think we're all on the same page that uh, this season has been an incredible letdown considering how loaded this roster is and I think everyone is on the same page and having a reasonable conclusion that the problem is coaching and obviously you know I'm part of the movement that Jason Garrett needs to go but um, it's not just Jason Garrett you know it's the entire coaching staff I think that uh, Kellen Moore has not lived up to the expectations set early in the season at all. Uh, Chris Richard and Rod Marinelli have done a poor job with our defense overall. Um, the fact that they let the Bears offense, which was one of the worst in the league get 31 points uh, in the game, was honestly terrible. I mean, as bad as our offense was, the fact that our defense gave up so many points to the Bears uh, was just inexcusable, you know? So um, that was really a, a tough loss to swallow, and um, the end of the season is coming, well, the end of the regular season, that is, surprisingly, because we are in the worst division uh, in football for probably the last, like, decade now, uh, the Cowboys still have a chance <laughs> to make it to the playoffs somehow, and uh, I don't want to sit here and try and tout total, like, fantasy land or anything but i mean you know miracles can happen in the nfl and so while i'm 99 percent convinced that if the cowboys do make it into the postseason uh they're just going to be a first round exit um you never know right like anything could happen so i mean if this uh it's basically all coming down to uh the december 22nd showdown with the eagles right so Whoever wins the NFC East gets a chance to make a dent in the playoffs. And the Eagles managed to pull out a win against the Giants uh, on Sunday after last week losing to the Dolphins, which is just as embarrassing, if not maybe a little bit more embarrassing, than the Cowboys lost to the Jets earlier in the season. I don't know. I feel like that's up for debate. Um, So at this point, the Cowboys already beat the Eagles one time earlier this season. I'm not... Uh, uncomfortable at all believing that they can do it again so we may actually get into the postseason and if we do that'll be incredible because we're gonna be going into it with a losing record Um, either way uh, I think everyone's on the same page that Jason Garrett is not gonna make it to next season uh, unless we make some ridiculous postseason run So it's not crazy at all to start looking at the possible uh, head coaching candidates that could fill in the huge shoes of Dallas Cowboys head coach starting uh, in the 2020 season. Um, So there have been a couple of early names that have kind of already risen as the front runners. There are three in particular that a lot of people are talking about, and all three just so happen to be uh, college head coaches. Um, who all have very successful uh, college careers. Um, And the first one I want to talk about is the name that's been brought up a lot lately, like it's the hottest name right now for the Cowboys, and that is uh, former Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer. Um, So Urban Meyer, in his stint as a college coach, has gone with 187 wins, 32 losses, he has a 12-3 and three, uh, bowl game record, and so he is definitely a guy that has had a lot of success in the football world, albeit the college world, um, he still has uh, incredible football knowledge, and he's been around for a very long time now. And so reports have been coming out that, uh, actually specifically from uh, Jane Slater, uh, she Confirmed that there is a real interest from the Cowboys uh, in Urban Meyer via Twitter Um, And another name that she actually mentioned in that same tweet uh, is Lincoln Riley Um, Lincoln Riley head coach of uh, OU um, He has been in the game a lot shorter than Urban Meyer and our uh, third candidate Um, But he and the Cowboys have had a pretty public mutual interest in each other. Like it's no secret that the Cowboys would have interest in him where they're an open head coaching position and he a lover of that franchise. And so that is not at all a crazy idea that those two parties could merge. Um, You know, uh, what is it? Um, uh, Lincoln Riley has already uh, mentored Sorry, I just had a brain fart there. He has mentored three quarterbacks that are all already household names um, in Baker Mayfield, uh, in Kyler Murray, and now in Jalen Hurts. These are all three huge quarterback names um, that all you know have proven to be uh, very skilled. And so the fact that Lincoln Riley was the guy that developed these players, that he was the offensive guru that allowed them to succeed and excel to imagine him being in charge of someone like Dak Prescott with his versatility, with his capabilities and skill, after earlier this season already having, like, being in the MVP discussion, um, that's very exciting to think about. Uh, I don't want to splurge too much on Lincoln Riley because the truth is, is I don't really have a favorite in these three candidates because they're all pretty great, um, and I keep alluding to three, so I might as well mention the third one, um, and the third one is Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson. Now, this may not be a name that you might have heard of as much as the other two, but he is a brand new candidate. Um, and the reason why you probably didn't hear about his name until recently was because he was the Washington Huskies head coach um, for quite a while. And actually, uh, in his time as a college head coach, his record is uh, 146 wins, 38 losses. That's really impressive. Now, he does have a 6-6 six and six in bowl games, but I mean, he was probably going up against some pretty amazing teams in those. I, I can't really pull up those games right now. Uh, there's too much research already sitting in front of me. But um, the reason why he has emerged as like a really strong front runner uh, is because he used to be the head coach for Boise State. And in his time at Boise State, he had interactions with players like Demarcus Lawrence, Tyron Crawford. And he has experience with Kellen Moore, uh, the current OC for the Cowboys. And so he has a lot of connections already within the organization that would allow him to slot in pretty easily. And, and that connection with Kellen Moore could actually be uh, a huge boost in his potential of you know being a candidate. Because that connection, that chemistry would be there from the get-go. He wouldn't have to try and figure Kellen Moore out. They already worked together. And that kind of stuff actually plays a bigger role in these types of decisions than i think a lot of fans think those sorts of connections those sort of that sort of chemistry and familiarity amongst uh people part of the same organization that actually does wonders and to make it smooth and make the transition easy those kinds of things uh matter and so uh chris peterson lincoln riley urban meyer all three very uh uh well-decorated head coach, uh, head coach, uh, candidates. Um, I would be completely comfortable with any of those three, uh, taking up the role. Uh, and before we, uh, finally get out of this Cowboy segment, I'm going to leave it off with some good news. Um, so Brett Maher has been cut from the Cowboys. Um, it only took them 14 freaking weeks to finally do it. Um, and 10 missed field goals, which led the league. Um, but, uh, he's finally gone and, you know, I, I wish him the best as a person. I hope he gets his own personal life figured out, but I'm very thankful that he is no longer the kicker for this team because he was just terrible. He couldn't make anything within 60 yards for some reason, or within 50 yards for some reason. The dude was fantastic whenever you put him out for like super far away from, the, the field goal, but put him within 49 or below yards, and the dude's gonna practically miss almost every single time. Um, and so now that Brett Maher is gone, we have to replace him with someone. Well, the Cowboys released him and now signed a uh, former Pats kicker, Kai Forbath. Um, so who is Kai Forbath? Well, funny enough, Kai Forbath actually was originally signed to the NFL. With the Dallas Cowboys, he was originally like they signed him because he didn't get drafted. So he's an undrafted free agent, um, but he had a quad injury whenever he came into the league, um, and so he wasn't able to immediately become the kicker. And so in that time of him trying to heal that injury, uh, a, a a guy named uh, Dan Bailey just happened to stroll in and ended up becoming one of the most accurate kickers in NFL history. So Kai Forbath ended up having to be had ended up having to become. A journeyman uh, in the league and so he kind of hopped around a bunch of different places he had stints with the Buccaneers he had a stint with the Vikings um, which is kind of funny because now the Vikings have Dan Bailey now we have Kai Forbath um, and he actually got a game in with the Pats earlier this season um, that allowed him to get his feet back under him because I think there was a little bit of time that he was away from the game and now he signed with the Dallas Cowboys Now, Kai Forbath's career field goal percentage sits at 85.8%, which is actually right about average. So already an improvement over our previous kicker. Um, So honestly, I'm okay with the signing. Um, I'd like to see what he can do for the team in these next couple of weeks, and that'll definitely make us feel either comfortable looking for a new kicker this offseason or comfortable re-signing Forbath. We're just going to have to see how he does. But um, just judging from his career field goal percentage, uh, I'm not too worried. Um, it looks like we're going to have to get used to... Because it's it's interesting. The Cowboys fans had to deal with this stark contrast because we went from Dan Bailey to Brett Maher, right? And there really wasn't an in-between. So we went from one of the most accurate kickers in the NFL history to one of the worst kickers in the league possible. So... Uh to now transition into Kai Forbath, it's going to be an improvement for sure, but I don't think we're ever going to really be able to get back to Dan Bailey in his prime, and I think we're going to have to accept that. You know, It was a really good run to have a kicker who was able to make 90-ish percent of all of his kicks, no matter how far or how close. We always could count on him to do that game-winning field goal, which he did many times for us, um, before we had a really stellar killer offense, which currently doesn't exist. Um, so, we're going to have to get used to having just a league average kicker, which isn't a bad thing. You know, it's definitely better than what we've had. So, I say this is a solid win for the Cowboys. All right, let's switch gears. Let's talk some baseball. Uh, the winter meetings just happened. And for those of you who don't know what the winter meetings are, it's essentially the busiest time in the entire baseball offseason. Uh, This is when a lot of GMs uh, get to meet with each other, get to meet with free agents and other players um, and essentially get a chance to really hash out all the stuff that they really want to take care of for the offseason. And so this is the most hectic point um, in the entire offseason where big free agent signings happen and big trades happen. um, And this uh, offseason so far has yet to disappoint Um, As we can already tell, we've already had three humongous signings with Steven Strasburg, seven years, 245 mil uh, with the Nats. Garrett Cole going to the Yankees for nine years, 324 mil. And then one that we're going to get to here in a little bit, but uh, Anthony Rendon, who was a Rangers target, uh, ended up signing a seven year, 245 million deal uh, with the Angels. Um, That one hurt a little bit because the rangers were definitely on track to try and pick him up uh but unfortunately they ended up whiffing on him i guess the problem was is that they didn't want to commit as much money or as many years to him as uh some of the other suitors were willing to give him Uh, and so the rangers ended up falling out of that race and actually a similar situation just happened with the rangers um With the Josh Donaldson situation, Um, another possible third baseman to fill our roster and fill that hole. Um, And now he's off the market for the Rangers as well, just because he's wanting a four year uh, deal and the Rangers were only willing to give three max. Um, Personally, I really don't know how to feel about this. It seems like the Rangers are having commitment issues this offseason, and this really doesn't seem to be the offseason to do that. Um we've already done a lot of great signings in terms of pitching staff which I felt like was our biggest weakness, right? You know, because I noticed there were a lot of games where we had some high scoring affairs but we allowed the other team to score higher than us. And that's a pitching issue, you know? Um so a lot of our improvement was definitely in our rotation. Uh we signed Jordan Lyles, uh we signed um who is the other guy that we signed? Kyle Gibson. Um, and then we just, uh, and the, both those guys are starters. They're immediately going to jump into the rotation behind Mike Miner and Lance Lynn. So, right then and there, we already have four guaranteed starters on this roster. That fifth spot up for grabs. Who knows who can get it? Um, I know that uh, Ariel Hirado is going to try to make a comeback for it. We have Jesse Chavez, of course. Uh, Adrian Sampson showed a lot of spunk. Um, we're just going to have to see what happens with that fifth uh, rotation spot. But, you know, I I didn't think we'd we'd get to this point in the offseason because, like I said, I felt like pitching was the weakest point, but it seems like the problem that the Rangers are having right now is with their lineup, right, with filling their roster with big bats. Um, I I can't believe it took me a minute to actually get to this, but actually the biggest piece of news for the Rangers within the last week um, is the fact that we traded away Nomar Mazzara, the big chill, um, and as much as I want to sit here and be bummed about it because Nomar Mazzara definitely had the potential to be a huge part of this young stud-filled core that was originally supposed to be built around him, around Rugnet Odor, around Joey Gallo, around and Profar. That experiment clearly didn't work out. After giving Odor his massive deal, his production stagnated. We traded away Jerickson Profar because we felt like his production had stagnated. Joey Gallo is still Joey Gallo. We know his style of play, and he actually does come through with that. He actually improved drastically last year as opposed to the year before. So Joey Gallo has actually developed well. But Noah Mazzara was a lot like the other guys. While he wasn't as bad as they were this last season, his production as well also stagnated. Um, and the Rangers were facing this dilemma with their outfielders, right? Because you have Shinsu Chu, you have Joey Gallo, and then Willie Calhoun last year came out of nowhere. He's a young stud. And so you have these four starting caliber outfielders now on your roster, and you have to figure out, well, what do we want to do with all these guys, right? All of them are demanding, or, or not necessarily demanding, but like just the gravity of their skill level um, and their experience. That, that gravity itself demands that they are a default starting uh, caliber batter for this team. Um, And we're facing the situation where we have all these outfielders and we don't have a whole lot of assets, right? The team that the Rangers is right now is uh, no farm system and not really a whole lot of threats in the roster up here in the MLB. So they're kind of in this position where I think the fan base understands and I think the team understands that it's going to be a couple of years before they start winning big again. And so it's time now to maybe get some assets. And so, yeah, I think that the move of trading um, Nomar Mazzara for a prospect who uh, ended up being, uh, what's his name? Uh, Oh, Steel Walker. Okay, and Steel Walker is a guy who was drafted out of the University of Oklahoma in the second round, batted with a two eighty four with 10 homers, 62 RBIs across two Class A teams. So, I mean, he might be a potential for us. He is an outfielder as well, um, so I don't really see where he could maybe come up and fill any roles unless we foresee uh, maybe uh, Shinsu Chu not lasting with this team any longer, or maybe we're going to try to uh, have him play a different role on the roster. Uh, But ultimately, yeah, um, with the trading of Nomar Mazzara now officially complete to the White Sox, we're kind of having to figure out now what our lineup's going to be, and, and we need to get some big bats. And unfortunately, third baseman is a big hole for us, and we haven't filled it yet. And so now that we've whiffed on Anthony Rendon and Josh Donaldson, um, who are our options left? Well, it's become very very obvious that uh, the Cubs are starting to shop their third baseman, an all-star stud named Chris Bryant. Right, and I'm sure if you're a baseball fan, you've heard that name. Chris Bryant, very good third baseman, very good offensive line, uh, uh, offensive lineup uh, filler. So Chris Bryant is an option. But the issue here that I'm seeing is that Chris Bryant provides the same dilemma as the other guys did, whereas the Rangers are going to look at him and say, but do we really want to commit to him? Right, Anthony Rendon was clearly... An amazing option and they couldn't commit to him. Josh Donaldson, maybe understand it a little bit more. He's a little bit older, but still they ended up throwing the towel with him, uh, throwing in the towel. So, you know, is the same situation going to happen with Chris Bryant? Who knows? Another option that uh, has come to light is that the Rangers are monitoring uh, Michael Franco. Uh, He was the former third baseman for the Twins. Uh, Is that right? No, no, that's not right. Sorry, uh, Michael Franco was with the Phillies this last season, um, so he could be a, pow- a powerful asset to this team as well if they choose to go with him. Um, the thing is is that he's 27 years old, so he is kind of in that period where he it, give him a couple years and he's going to get to that point of being in his 30s, being a little bit older. Does he make sense for this roster, or should we just go with a complete rebuild? I don't know, but we do seem to be facing a dilemma at third base, and... It, you know, the way that I see it is we have given ourselves a possibly solid starting rotation for this team, uh, which we haven't had in quite a few years. Um, for the relieving, I'm not sure. We did just sign Jolie Rodriguez, uh, who could bolster up the the bullpen. Uh, but ultimately, we're going to have to see where the bullpen goes. But I feel comfortable with this starting lineup. Uh. And I'll feel more comfortable once we figure out who fills in that fifth starting spot. Um, but with a starting rotation like this, it would be nice to see uh, an offensive lineup from the Rangers uh, that will actually be threatening. And we can actually have uh, some guys that can get some scores for us and while our uh, pitching rotation keeps the other team uh, down in the count. Alright, that's all I got for the Rangers, which means it's time to move on to the last team that I haven't covered yet um and i purposely left off talking about the mavericks till the end of this episode because i wanted to end it on a high note because unlike all the other teams where there's a lot of uncertainty the mavericks seem like they have a direction a very positive one and since this is the first episode i'm recording since the start of the basketball season i just want to do a quick recap and say that this team has been doing incredible this season way beyond my wildest expectations. Everybody, including fans of the Mavericks, had kind of seen this team maybe fighting for the sixth to eighth seeds at best for the Western Conference. And here we are sitting without any competition. We're sitting in the third seed of the, uh, the Western Conference and the number one seed, the Lakers, we just beat recently and we beat them pretty good too. So this team has really become a juggernaut And a a team that other teams should be scared to face. Um, And of course, the center point of it all is Luka's emergence into becoming even better than he was last season. And I mean, if you guys listen to any other sports podcast, if you listen to any radio or any DFW radio or any sports radio for that matter, I'm sure you've heard plenty enough already about Luka. There's not really much I can say about him other than that he has been an absolute legend this season. He has been dropping down triple-doubles left and right. He's been doing 20 uh, points, 5 assists, 5 rebounds at least for like 19 games straight. He had a a streak doing that, um, which eclipsed Michael Jordan. So I don't want to get ahead of myself here and say anything crazy about Luka and the potential of his career, but the guy's already breaking records at 20 years old from the greatest player of all time and arguably the other greatest player of all time in both michael jordan and lebron james so take that as information as you will but he definitely is the centerpiece for why the mavericks have blown up this season um it's also all the other contributing pieces as well um we'll get into here in a second but everybody else has been Really surprising Seth Curry has actually brought in uh, a lot of his skill set to this team that we needed out of him He started off the season pretty slow Um, He had an injury Well, I think it was just an illness that took him out of the starting lineup because Tim Hardaway jr uh, impressed so well in that time period Um, but uh, last night was the Detroit Pistons game and Seth Curry got 30 points and went six of nine shooting from three Uh, So he's definitely making a case to put him back into that starting lineup. And this is kind of the good dilemma that the Mavericks are facing this season is that they have so many players on their squad that have a right to claim a starting role on this team. Right. And. Whoever doesn't make the starting lineup, well, then they just bolster the bench, right? And so Rick Carlisle this season has just been playing with all these different lineups, seeing which teammates work together best with which other teammates. It's been very interesting to watch. And Rick Carlisle is one of those guys that he is definitely open uh, to that chemistry and to that excitement. Oh, my God, my computer's fan is is really speeding up here and getting kind of loud. So if you guys hear that, I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep this thing going and hopefully it doesn't get too distracting um but anyway so the Mavericks uh of their last couple of games now um so there was the win in Detroit last night they and I ended up not even seeing that game and it was one of the games that I wish I would have seen um and then uh earlier this week on Sunday uh the Mavericks played against the Kings at home I actually happened to be at that game the only game that i've gone to all season and it just so happened to be one of the maverick's worst games this season granted it was the second night of a back-to-back but still kind of sucked at the one game i went to uh they laid an egg in the first half so bad that they couldn't even come back in the second half it was interesting to see him almost make a comeback but it was disappointing to know that the loss was because that first half was so dreadful and then prior to that Sacramento Kings game, they went on a five game win streak that included a win over the current number one seed in the West, Los Angeles Lakers. Um, and then, you know, prior to that, they did lose 14 points to the Clippers. But I mean, aside from those two losses, uh, it's been a really, really good show. This team has been very fun to watch, very entertaining to keep up with. You know i i've been telling my friends that i'm basically a super fan at this point i'm trying to watch every single mavericks game and i'm not just trying to watch it for Luka Doncic because he, he's fun to watch that speaks for itself i don't even need to talk about that the other piece of excitement that i feel i get when i watch these mavericks games is to see what other player steps up like last night it was seth curry on another given night, it could be Tim Hardaway Jr., who has been the case for a couple of these games now. Um, Chris Stops has had some breakout nights, uh, and J.J. Barea will show up, and maybe Dorian Finney-Smith will will contribute. And I remember earlier in the season, DeLon Wright had a couple of games that looked good, and he recently had another one. So it's fun to watch and see all these different players contribute, and it's fun to guess which one is going to step up to the plate and be the difference maker for the next game. Um, and so for me, that's the funnest part of this. Luca's a, an automatic, you know? And unlike a couple of, like, there might have been only two games this entire season where Luca wasn't shooting lights out, where he wasn't going off um, across the whole game. You know, some games he started off slow in the first half and then came in the second half on fire. But I mean, there's only been like a two games I can think of up at the top of my head. Where from first quarter to fourth quarter he was just not feeling it, and in those games the bench stepped up and carried the load, and so even on games whenever our main superstar is not living up to his uh, expectations for that game, um, and Kristaps, like I said, I'll get into in a second here, is you know still kind of coming along, it's nice to see the rest of the guys. Uh, help make this team still be a contender even without the superstars uh, playing at a superstar level now okay I've been alluding to it enough so uh, I want to talk a little bit about Kristaps okay now I've heard some people on other radio stations and other podcasts talk about how you know Kristaps this and Kristaps that and he needs to do this he needs to play inside more he needs to he needs to be more aggressive and I do agree with a lot of what these guys are saying. But I just want to take a step back and look at the bigger picture of it. Some people have been asking because going into this season, I think we all somewhat understood that Kristaps is coming back from an ACL tear where he was off the court for 20 months straight. Now, that might be wrong. Okay, so don't quote me on that. But the bottom line is that it was for a very, very... Very long time, at least a year. Okay. So this guy hadn't been on the NBA court in over a year. And if you do something really, really good and then you don't do it for a year, any skill, no matter what it is, if you're really freaking good at it, maybe you've mastered it and you're better at everyone better at it than everyone else in the world, you take a year off, you're going to be rusty. And so he has been rusty at the start of this season. He's had a couple of games where it looked like he shook the rust off instantly but then the rest started to creep in. And so the question becomes, well, how patient are we allowed to be, right? So the question has been, how long is acceptable to give Chris Stops a pass for not playing fantastic, right? Because like last night against Detroit, he had 20 points, and he did affect the game in many more ways than just, you know, gobbling up numbers on on the, on the hoop, uh, which he has done consistently in ev- pretty much every single game. He has a way of impacting the game aside from scoring. Uh, but how long do we wait and give him a pass for not being able to score? Because like I said, he scored 20 points last night, but we, he went 0 for 6 uh, on the other side of the arc or outside the arc. So how long are we willing to accept that type of performance before we start thinking to ourselves, maybe this wasn't a good trade, maybe he just won't be who he was supposed to be. When do we make that decision? And so a lot of people have been kind of debating when and where. And my personal opinion is considering that this team is now a lot better than we thought they would be at the start of the season, whereas before the season started, I thought to myself, give him at least one full season, regular season and postseason included, Um, where he just, he's still getting it back together and come next season, he should be back to full strength. I'm okay with that. Um, but considering that this team has really blown up our expectations, um, and it looks like they're going to be one of the top four seeds. I'm saying that optimistically. Let's, let's say realistically, it's better to assume that they might be one of the top five, uh, Maybe top six teams, you know, hopefully if there's no sort of, like, injury or some, some sort of, like, weird steer that this team takes in the middle of the season, because it happens. I've seen it happen before with the Mavericks. Um, we've seen it happen before. So, assuming that they're a solid top five, possibly top four team this season, which is what they look like right now, I understand that that doesn't change Kristaps' timeline or his recovery timetable or anything, but I think it makes... At that point, once you get into the playoffs and you're a top four seed, all eyes are on you. You are now expected to be a really good team. And so I think, my personal opinion, is that Kristaps needs to be good and back to full strength by the postseason. And I only say that not because I personally think that he needs to be back to full strength. He needs to be kicking ass on the court by the postseason or else I'm going to sit here and think to myself that it was a wasted trade. Rather, for Kristaps' sake, for... Dallas' sake. Once they're in the postseason and they're top four seed, um, all eyes are going to be on this team. And if Kristaps is still playing kind of iffy like he is right now, everyone is going to be blowing up about it. Everyone's going to be saying that the trade was a mistake. If if we have a couple of games where Kristaps kills a couple of possessions and maybe does something unclutch at the end of the game, he's going to be under the spotlight and people are going to be tearing him and dragging him because it happens it happens to every superstar that ends up quote unquote choking in the postseason and so i don't want to see kristops get to that point i don't want to see him get drugged through the media i don't want him to get affected by it i don't want him to feel like now he has to play against this this sort of uh idea across the board that people think that he's washed up um that he's not capable of returning to form like he was and that end up affecting how he's supposed to really be approaching this injury recovery. So for me, I think that Kristaps does need to have it done and ready to go by this postseason because otherwise he's going to face some obstacles and challenges that many other superstars will face uh, whenever they can't live up to their expectations. So that's just my take on it. Um, like I said, you know, aside from... Scoring, he has been very effective on this team, and he has been doing incredible in terms of rebounding, in terms of defense, in terms of spreading the floor, um, and allowing other players to do well, which could be a big part of why this team uh, is kicking ass right now. But he isn't playing at max cash capacity just quite yet, right? Like, the, the level of play that he's doing isn't justifying the max contract that he was given in the offseason. So that is the level that he needs to get to. He needs to get to max contract level by the time you get to the postseason or else I'm afraid that there's gonna be a lot of negative headlines surrounding this guy. And I think that's gonna negatively impact his ability to come back from this injury. So that's just my two cents on it. I know it's a very subjective take, so take it with a grain of salt. But with that being said, that's all we got for today's episode of the 214 thank you guys for tuning in uh thank you for listening back in and realizing that i'm not dead that this podcast isn't dead um i actually just graduated uh as of yesterday and it's it's been a crazy 24 hours and i honestly am still kind of feeling butterflies so um recording this has been a lot of fun i'm I'm excited for getting back in the groove of of recording this thing and i'm going to be trying to do it weekly um like i said monday will be the goal but i can't promise that that's going to be the regular release day it might be sometimes tuesdays it might be sometimes wednesdays uh in this case it's going to be coming out on a friday night um it is what it is i'll be trying to adjust that accordingly but with that being said thank you for tuning in to this episode of 214 i'll catch you guys next time